having friends at Park Hills Baptist Church. I've not ever had a bird try to get into one of my sermons before, but uh, he seems pretty uh, convinced that he, he wants to get in. Oh, he's been there a while. Okay. Well, carry on, whatever you need to do there. It is, uh, it is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, I had this on my calendar for quite a few months when your pastor and I were putting together the trip to Romania. I told him, I said, since you're going to be staying a little bit longer, please allow me the opportunity to preach for you on the Sunday after I get back. I got back in Wednesday night, and I told him, I said, by Sunday morning, I ought to be back to normal. I, uh, I know I don't need to tell you this, but I just, I just want to say how much I so appreciate your pastor and his heart and uh, his passion for the things of Christ. It is absolutely a privilege to get to travel with him. Uh, it is just a, an extraordinary honor to see how well he is respected um, by people in other countries. We left uh, two weeks ago tomorrow to go to Romania. And uh, we got there on Tuesday afternoon and were uh, picked up at the airport by his in-laws. And uh, as you can imagine, they were so enamored with Ezra that I was hoping that I would, uh, I would even be recognized as being there. No, they were very gracious. And um, just to give you a little bit of an overview of our, of our trip, and then so on Wednesday morning, met with his father-in-law and two other pastors. The three of them are planting a church there in Cluj. And so you can be praying for them, and they were interested and some of the things that we were doing here in Austin in terms of church planting, and it was very unique, and, uh, but there was a real connection in that Cluj is a huge collegiate town. In fact, if, if this sounds interesting to you, they actually have more college students, university students in Cluj than we do in Austin and the surrounding area, and so they're trying to figure out how, and how to make a connection. Uh, we then took the train from Cluj to Oradia, and uh, on that Wednesday afternoon so that I would be ready to, uh, to go to work on Thursday. And uh, I smile because our Romanian friends, when you get there, they don't want you to feel as though you haven't gotten your money's worth. And so I preached or spoke or talked or whatever every single day. In fact, in those five days, preached nine times. And uh, my, my loving wife, who my wife and my children are here this morning, she said, did you take nine sermons? And I said, well, we kind of modified some and we kind of moved some. And, uh, but we had, uh, we had an outstanding time. Uh, he will be coming back uh, tomorrow evening, he and Anka. And uh, our prayers are with him. Uh, they are actually eight hours ahead. And just to add to the chaos, last weekend was their time change. So he lost an hour. And uh, then this Sunday, you know, we lose an hour, and so he ought to be just an absolute mess by the time that he, uh, that he gets back. But uh, I do appreciate his heart and his support. As you can imagine, while he is there, he is in, very much in demand uh, on Thursday night. In fact, it seems they have services every single night of the week on Thursday night. I spoke at Emmanuel Baptist Church, a huge Baptist church there, and uh, he was going to be my ride afterward. And so toward the end of the service, he had been speaking somewhere else. He came in and was sitting at the back door, which was just a great encouragement to me, and which is typical for Samuel, although in Romania he is VRL. And it's very difficult because if you say Samuel, they're going, what are you, who are you talking about? And, uh, but as is usual, they ask him to come and to uh, offer greetings to the congregation. So be in prayer for him. We had great discussions with the university and the seminary professors and the folks there, and it was, it was just a good time. 
When thinking about what to share with you today, and again, because your pastor is such a dear friend, we, we talked about uh, sharing with you and encouraging you in the area of evangelism. You know, sometimes when we think about an evangelist, we think, think about somebody who's got a big Bible, and if we let our mind go crazy on us, we think of a big King James Version, and somebody who just almost wears people out into submission to, uh, to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, there are folks that have been blessed to be able to share Christ in that particular way. But this morning, more than anything else, what I want to encourage us in is just sharing our life and our personal relationship with Christ with other people. And I hope that not only will you say, yeah, that's good for other people, but you will adopt it and own it for yourself. You know, we live in a world where we experience things that we like and we very readily tell other people about those things. Uh, yesterday, uh, our family, we got to go to the Baylor football game and Thompson and I, we were driving up there with, uh, with some other classmates of his. And it was interesting because he was offering them some gum and he was speaking of the great attributes and the great taste of this gum. And honestly, it was interesting. They were like, wow, I got to try it if it's that good. And we are to some extent, quite good salesmen on, salesmen on things that we like and things that have, uh, have been good for us. And not that we want to in any way reduce our spiritual faith to some salesmanship, but I want to encourage us this morning to always be ready to give an answer to the hope that we have in Christ. Let me tell you about one of our church planters. He's a great guy, and I don't have permission to share his name. I don't think he'd be concerned, but I'll just, uh, I'll just call him a church planter. He was going to Brackenridge Hospital to visit a friend of his, and as he was walking from the parking garage, and if you know anything about Brackenridge, on the west side is the emergency access. They've got the helicopter pad and everything. And he saw a family in great distress. Didn't know them, but as a rule of life for him, he's always looking to make introductions and to share Christ. So this family being very distraught, he just walked over to them. And he said, I am so sorry. I don't know what's happened. Is there anything that I can do for you? Now think about that. Any of us could do that. And they said, well, our son was involved in an accident and it doesn't look as though he's going to pull through. And he said, would you mind if I pray for you? Now think about that. He doesn't know these people. He asks them if there's anything that they can do. They, you know, they freely volunteer this information and he prays for them. He prays that God would encourage them, that God would strengthen them, and all of these things. And when it was over, it, it, by his own testament, he said, you know what, it was so obvious that these, these people had never prayed or had anybody pray for them that they were, just, you know, they, were, they, they were just caught in that moment. He went on to visit the friend that he was there at the hospital to visit, and afterward he came back by. When he came back by the emergency uh, room, they shared with him that their son had passed. And they were so caught with the fact that he had offered this prayer for them, which was something totally new and unique. They said, you know, we want to do this memorial service for our son, whatever that meant. And they said, would you be interested in helping with that? Now think about this. He's walked into the hospital. He doesn't know these people. He hears their story. He offers a prayer, and he comes back by, and they offer him. And, and of course, if you knew this individual, he said, absolutely, I'd love to. So he's recounting the story to me. And they had set a date on, um, I think it was a Thursday afternoon. Uh, he was a biker here in Austin, not motorcycle, bicyclist, 
you know, biker kind of a person, but a bicyclist. And it was common for he and his friends to meet on Thursday afternoons and they would ride off into Austin and, you know, do whatever, you know, biker people do. And so they were going to do a memorial service at the public park and they had asked him to do it. So being the director of the Austin Baptist Association, many of our pastors, when, you know, schedules don't kind of work out, they call me. And so he called me on Thursday morning and he said, hey, listen, I'm supposed to do this memorial service tonight. Would you do it? And so, I mean, you know, I can't have a church planter further down the road than I am. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. Now, folks, I'm telling you, with my gray hair, I look like a great-grandfather to these young people. In fact, the parents of this young, young guy are younger than I am. And so I'm praying, I'm thinking about, okay, Lord, I have this opportunity. I'm going to be talking to a lot of young people who have no relationship with you, no knowledge of you. And in fact, it was interesting because there was uh, on the web, there was a memorial to him and there was a kind of a metaphor to, you know, describing him and his bicycle and these kinds of things. And so I was trying to figure out what I would share at this memorial service. And it was highly unique, unlike any that I had ever been to before. But I was thinking, you know, maybe we'll have about, oh, 20 or so people there. When I showed up at the park, I couldn't find any place to park. And when I got there, they had put together a kind of a memorial of pictures and this kind of thing. And to my best guess, best guess, and not Baptist rounding or anything like that, there was about 200 people there. So what do you do when you come into contact with over 200 people that want to mourn the loss of a friend? How do you share the gospel with them? Well, the first thing that you do is you call your loving wife and you say, please pray for me. I've not done anything quite like this. But it was very interesting because when you pray and you seek the Father in terms of opportunities to share your faith, you know what? He always brings a word and he always brings encouragement. And so here's what I shared. I told them how honored that I was to be there. I was the only person there with a jacket and a tie, but it seemed like it fit because they were kind of looking for a ministerial kind of person. Not so much Baptist, but just somebody that could do a prayer or, or say some good words. And so I told them that I was honored to be a part of that. I explained the situation as to how my friend had gotten involved with that. And I shared with them this story. I said, none of you last week at this time ever thought that you would be at a memorial service for your friend. I mean, that was just not a part. I mean, he was young and uh, very active in life. I mean, you just couldn't imagine that you were here. And here you are today to pay respects to your friend. And I can only imagine what's going through your mind. And I shared with them that passage of Scripture in John chapter 11. And in fact, I prefaced it by saying one of, the, one of the books that has great significance in my life and brings great comfort to me is God's Word. And I said there's a, there's a book called John, and it's broken up into chapters. And in chapter 11, it talks about Jesus. Jesus had a great friend by the name of Lazarus, and his friend died, and he didn't get a chance to talk to his friend before he died. And I began to talk to them about the fact that there's, there's one verse in that chapter that talks about the fact that Jesus wept. And, and maybe that they're here, they're weeping because they didn't have that opportunity to talk to their friend ahead of time. I shared with them the fact that, that Jesus had an extraordinary opportunity that we didn't have because he was able to raise his friend from the dead. But if you know anything about John chapter 11, 
They ask him, why did he die? And Jesus goes into a simple gospel presentation. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And I shared with them the fact that if, if we know Jesus Christ when we die, we have an opportunity to spend eternity with him. And I didn't know where this man was in his relationship with Jesus Christ, but it was an opportunity to share my faith. Now, why that whole story? Because today, what I want to encourage you to do is to begin to think through and to pray through individuals that you can share your faith with. And I'm not asking you this morning necessarily. Now, if God leads you in this way, you can learn a passage or you can learn some verses in sequence. There's what's called the Romans Road where you learn some verses of Scripture in the book of Romans and you, you walk people through that and it gives them the gospel presentation. Or there's other kinds of ways throughout the New Testament where you can walk people through the introduction to Christ. But as much as anything today, what I want you to do is to be open and yielded to maybe God speaking to your heart for you to speak to your friends. And in fact, to give you the application, even before we get to the end, that you would do this, that you would begin to pray daily, how can I share my faith with my friends? See, you all live in spheres of influence, whether at your job, the places that you frequent, but you have a relationship with those people. And I don't need you to raise your hand, but the likelihood is those people in your circles are not just going to show up at Park Hills Baptist Church on Sunday morning. Now, you might have an opportunity here and there to invite some of them, but what I want to encourage you to do is to be the presence of Christ and to go and share with them. And so this morning, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9 because we're going to look at an extraordinary story. See, it's always helpful for me to look at a story that's kind of extreme because then it makes me feel like, hey, if this could work for this guy, this could work for me. So let me, let me explain to you what's going on in this story so you'll know. There are two players in this story. There's this guy by the name of Ananias, and there's another fellow by the name of Saul. Now, you're going to know this fellow Saul because eventually his name is changed to Paul, and God uses him to write a bunch of the books of the Bible. God speaks through him, and he writes these. So you've got this believer, his name is Ananias, who is committed to God, and God comes to him in a dream, and he says, Ananias, listen, there's this guy by the name of Saul, and I'm going to give you his name. I'm going to give you his address. In fact, when you get to the address, this is what he's going to be doing. And what I want you to do is I want you to share with him about me. Now, the part about the story that's ex extraordinary is this fact that Saul was actually coming to the town where Ananias was, listen to this, to kill Christians. Now, how would you like that if God came to you and said, listen, there is a Christian killer coming to Austin, Texas, and he just does not like Christians, especially Southern Baptists. And um, when he gets there, he's going to just go open season on Baptist. And I would like you to share the gospel with him. How many of us would stay alive? You know what I'd say? I'd say, you know what, Lord, I think you ought to call Sam. I think Sam would be great for that task. And uh, I'll pray for Sam, but I don't want to be that guy. But what happens is Ananias says, Lord, I'll do, I'll be, I'll share whatever you want me to share. And an extraordinary transformation takes place because Saul becomes now not a persecutor of Christians anymore, but he becomes not only a follower of a Christ, but a promoter of the gospel. So let me read for you this story beginning in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. 
It says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to a street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he had had seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now, for those of you who are familiar with this story, Saul is on, his, on this road to Damascus. He is blinded by this bright light, and God actually speaks to him through this encounter, causes him to be blind, and so another guy that we read about here, Judas, goes and picks him up and brings him to his house. So look at verse 13. Then Ananias answered, this is what's fun about this story because this is kind of what I would say. Hey, Lord, let me let you in on something. I, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And, he, he, and here he has authority from the high priest or the chief priest to bind all who come in his name. So basically, Ananias is looking for a get-out-of-jail-free pass. Lord, I'm not sure that this is the right guy. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road has, as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. Real quickly, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at this story in the book of Acts. God, may you challenge us in the relationships that we have to uh, share our faith with those that we come in contact with. I thank you and I praise you in your name. Amen. In your bulletin there, you have the title of my sermon today, Encountering Christ. And so as to uh, give you a sense of completeness, let me give you my outline. Point number one, encounter prepared. Point number two, encounter assured. Point number three, encounter completed. Now, I know that many of you say, praise the Lord, I can now take a nap. I know the outline. That's not the key just in case I get talking too fast, which I'm so excited to do since I don't have an interpreter, uh, I want to make sure that I cover that. And by the way, it is a, a hoot to hear a yacker like me try to work through a translator. Point number one, encounter prepared. Point number two, encounter assured. Point number three, encounter completed. Let me begin with the encounter prepared. You remember from the story that God prepares both players in the story. He encounters, or excuse me, he prepares Saul, how? Well, obviously, he blinds him on the road to Damascus, and the guy's in a pretty submission, submissive situation. He encounters Ananias because Ananias, in a dream, here's what God would have him to do. Now, if you're like me, here's what I would say at this juncture. If the Lord gives me a dream and tells me to go speak to somebody, I'll happily do it. And don't raise your hand, but I would honestly say, Lord, every time you want me to share, just speak in a dream and, uh, and I'll be happy to do that. And the Lord can do that, but just in case that's your qualification to share, let me encourage you with this word. It tells us in Scripture that it's God's desire that all would repent, all would come to knowledge of Him, so you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you have a lost friend, 
It's God's heart and desire that you share with him. I would encourage you to do this. I would encourage you on your bulletin or somewhere at home to make a list, a list of 10 people that you have relationship with that you're pretty sure they don't know Christ. And then what I would encourage you to do is to begin to pray that God would prepare you, this is key, that God would prepare you for an opportunity to share your faith with them. And I want to ensure you this, if you will prepare and you will come to the Lord with an expectant heart, Lord, give me an opportunity. Help me to seize the opportunity. Lord, help me to look for the opportunities to share your faith. The Lord's going to give you an opportunity to do it. Now, the other thing that I want to assure you of, and I want to encourage you in this, don't be nervous that you're going to mess it up. Don't be nervous that you're not going to know what to say. Just very much speak from your heart. And it could be that it's just a word. Maybe it's just a, uh, an encouragement that you give to them. But all throughout Scripture, God is in the business of preparing us for interactions with other people. There are some other illustrations in the New Testament. Peter goes and he speaks to a fellow by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius is praying that someone would come and share the gospel with him. There's Philip who is traveling and he runs across the Ethiopian eunuch and the Ethiopian eunuch is reading a Bible. And he asks Philip, he says, can you explain this thing to me? And Philip said, sure, let me explain to you what all this means. In fact, it's extraordinary because as a result of Philip just answering some questions, this guy becomes a believer in Christ. Many people ask me about my Bible, and uh, my brother-in-law imports ostrich, and so he, uh, he covered my Bible for me. Well, I love taking it into Starbucks, and I love uh, reading uh, either you know, some study materials or my Bible, because often, as people see it there at Starbucks, they'll say, man, that looks like a pretty expensive book. Priceless. You have no idea. And imagine the opportunities that I have in sharing the gospel of Christ to say, you know what, this, uh, this Bible, this book is so very precious to me that I, you know, I regularly and daily take an opportunity to read it. And what you're doing is you're looking for an opportunity to share your faith with other people. And as you pray and as you study, and as especially as you pray through these 10 names, God is going to prepare you for this encounter. Point number two in my sermon this morning is that God is going to assuredly work through that. You remember the story. He goes to that street. He goes to that address, and he meets Saul where he is, and Saul is praying. And he does just as the dream has told him to do. He is praying that God would do great things through him. What's interesting in the story and as you remember, it says, go and speak to him because he's going to be a chosen vessel of mine before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. God assures him. He says, Ananias, if you will do this, I want to tell you that not only will he become a follower of me, but he's going to have influence on all other people. One of the things that I love to read is autobiographies and stories and on the trip to Romania because, again, I'm not very good at sleeping on planes. I was reading a story called Unbroken about a gentleman who was a World War II POW and the extraordinary story of his life. And what was interesting was, as you're reading through the story and after he comes back from his POW days, I mean, his life is spiraling out of control. And it's interesting because his wife invites him to a Billy Graham crusade that was taking place in Los Angeles. 
And by the way, if you, uh, if you are a historian, you ought to look at the Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles because it was revolutionary in changing people's lives. And this guy becomes a follower of Christ. And as I'm reading the story and as I'm thinking about sharing with you this morning, here's what thought came to my mind. I wonder who it was that shared with Billy Graham that he became a follower of Christ. And then I began to think to myself, what if, what happens if a Billy Graham never becomes a follower of Christ and all the people that, that came to know Christ as a result of his ministry? And I want to assure you that the Lord wants to assure us that if we will be faithful to share our faith, that he's not only going to come alongside us, he's not only going to strengthen us, he's not only going to give us the words to say, but he is going to use that in amazing kinds of ways. Now, it might be only heaven before we know that. But folks, do we necessarily have to know now or can we just be excited about the fact that God is working and moving in an amazing way? Point number three of my sermon this morning is the encounter completed. Remember, from Ananias' perspective, this is the least likely guy to be a follower of Christ in the entire world. Seriously. And he goes and he does exactly what God asks him to do. And I don't know if you caught it in the reading because I was reading quickly. But in verse number 17, and you can say out loud, how does he refer to Saul when he meets him? Brother Saul. See, I have a feeling that he was from the southern part of the country. Because if he were, and by the way, it was funny in Romania because not only were they intrigued with English, but they liked it when I talked Texan English. And um, so I can just imagine that when Ananias meets Saul in our good Texas way, he'd say, Brother Saul, how are you? You know, those kinds of things. But the point is, how does he go from a guy who's persecuting Christians to now he's calling him his brother? How? Because God has completed the entire process. And the process is complete. And now not only do you have Ananias who's sharing his faith, but you have who? You have Saul. And if you read the rest of that chapter in verse number 20 of that very same chapter, the first thing that Paul does is what? He goes to the church and he starts preaching. Imagine if you were to show up on Sunday morning here at church and the biggest persecutor of Christians showed up in the pulpit and said, you know what, I've just become a follower of Christ. And I want to stand here in this place and I want to present, present the gospel to you. In fact, one of, the, one of the visions that I have, and I have no idea how the end of her life, but, you know, Madeline Murray O'Hare, Austin resident, we have no idea, you know, exactly how the end of her life came. I hope and I pray that she became a follower of Christ. But just in, in vision, if she did and she came to your pastor and said, I've become a follower of Christ, could I come and speak in church? I mean, I think we'd be packed out with people going, man, I want to find out what this gal's all about. And I think that's what happened in the situation with the, uh, with the fellow Saul who became Paul. Now, I want to conclude this morning by sharing with you a story, and I apologize. I'm going to read it. I'll read it quickly. I'll try to read it with great, uh, with great infliction and all this kind of stuff, but I just don't know how to skin the story without sharing with you. And I share it with you by way of an encouragement to say even the littlest things God can use in an amazing way. Over in England, there was a great Baptist preacher whose name was Francis Dixon. Pastor Dixon had a man in his church who was very active whose name was Peter. 
Shortly after Peter joined the church, the pastor asked him to give his testimony. Peter said, I want to tell you how I became a Christian. I was stationed in the Royal Navy in Sydney, Australia. I was downtown Sydney on one occasion, walking down George Street, and out of nowhere came a little white-haired man. He stopped me on the street and said, Excuse me, sir, but I would like to ask you a question. I hope you won't be offended, but tell me, sir, if you were to die today, where would you be in eternity? The Bible says it would be either heaven or hell. Think about it, wouldn't you, sir? That's all. God bless you. Toodaloo, and he was gone. Peter said, that question, where would I be in eternity, came like an arrow shot out of the bow of God. I was miserable. I was under conviction for six months. Finally, we sailed back to England, and I knew I had one Christian friend. I sought him out, and he led me to Christ. There was a revival meeting where Francis Dixon was the preacher. There was a man on the revival team named Noel. They asked Noel to share his testimony, and Noel said, I want to tell you how I was saved. I lived for a period of my life in the beautiful Australian city of Sydney. I was walking downtown on George Street one day when out of nowhere came a little white-haired man, and he said, excuse me, sir, but I would like to ask you a question. I hope you won't be offended, but tell me, sir, if you were to die today, where would you be in eternity? The Bible says it will either be heaven or hell. Think about it, wouldn't you, sir? That's all. God bless you. Toodaloo. And he was gone. Noel said, I knew enough gospel to get saved, so I went to the house where I was staying in Sydney. I got on my knees that afternoon. I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Well, when the service was over, Peter came up to Noel and said, Noel, you've got my testimony. Not long after that, Francis Dixon was preaching in the Australian city of Adelaide, probably five to 600 miles from Sydney, and was impressed to tell the story about the two men in his church and the little man on George Street. When Pastor Dixon began the story, a man began to wave his hand. Pastor Dixon, do you want to know something? Yes, I do. I want to tell you how I was saved. I was walking down George Street in Sydney one day when out of nowhere came a little white-haired man who stopped me on the street. The story was the same. Francis Dixon flew from Adelaide to Western Australia to the Western Australian city of Perth, and he told the story in the church. When the service was over, a Baptist deacon came up to him and said, I am another. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, and out of nowhere came a little white-haired man. This is the way I was saved. When he got back to his church in England, he told the story to his congregation. And a young woman came up after the service and said, Pastor, I am another. Francis Dixon preached at Keswick in the northern part of the British Isles, and he told the story. An elderly man came up to him and said, Sir, I am another. Francis Dixon was invited to preach a one-day conference on personal evangelism to missionaries in India. He told that story. A middle-aged missionary woman came up to him and said, Sir, I am another. On the way home in the island of Jamaica, he told the story, and an eighth person came up to him and said, Sir, I am another. Gene Warr, a friend of Francis Dixon, was telling the story to a group of chaplains at Fort Benning, Georgia, when one of those chaplains raised his hand and said, Mr. Warr, let me tell you how I became a Christian. I was walking down George Street in Sydney when out of, the, out of nowhere came the little white-haired man. Francis Dixon said, The next opportunity I have to be in that part of the world Sydney would be on my itinerary. He wanted to see this little white-haired man. When he got to Sydney, he didn't know what to do. He got on the phone to a Christian friend and said, Have you ever heard of a little man who stands out on George Street and asks people where they will be in eternity when they die? Sure, came the answer from the other end of the phone. His name is Mr. Jenner. Mr. Jenner, you know him? All of us know him. 
He doesn't get out on the street much anymore. He has poor health. He doesn't see well. He is quite aged. Do you know where he lives, he said. I can take you right to his house. That afternoon, the two went out to the house of the little man and knocked on the door. The introductions were made, and Francis Dixon told the man about all of those people who had come to Jesus through the, through the word of warning and witness. That dear little old man broke down and wept. And he said, Sir, I have shared the gospel with thousands of people on George Street. But this is the first time in my life I have ever heard of anyone who came to faith through my witness. And I think to myself, we run into people all the time. And wouldn't it be amazing if like this little man, we just were faithful with every encounter to share Jesus. Folks, I believe people in Austin, Texas want and need to know Jesus. And quite honestly, I think you that are not full-time pastors often have a much better opportunity to share your faith than even we as ministers. Your pastor is burdened as he looks around and he sees people that obviously need to know Christ. And all I'm asking this morning is this. Would you consider sharing a word to introduce people to Jesus? Father, I thank you this morning for the privilege to stand in this pulpit. Father, I thank you for the relationships that all of us have with unsaved people. And God, this isn't something that we have to manipulate because, Father, as followers of you, we are satisfied with this relationship that we have with you. And Lord, simply we speak as satisfied customers to friends that desperately need to know you. God, I pray for your strength, for your empowerment, for your courage for each of us. May we be faithful. God, may we be faithful to share your word. And God, in the next moments, may we reflect. And maybe it is, God, that even through a thought, you would bring to us a name or a face of someone that you want us to make an inroad, that you would want us to have an encounter with. God, prepare us, assure us, and complete us. In your name I pray. I would ask you where you sit to reflect and very seriously, and my challenge would be this, maybe today or maybe through the course of this week to make a list of 10 names of people that you will pray that God would give you an opportunity to share your faith with. Think about that.